morning. It's good to be with you. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses there. Uh, if you're a guest with us and you don't own a Bible, um, there should be Bibles underneath the seats. You can have that. That is a gift from Crosspoint to you. Uh, because we believe in the authority and treasure of God's Word. And so uh, please take that. That is yours. And uh, we have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And now we have gotten to the fun chapters. They're all fun chapters, right? That's what you should say. But this morning, uh, we will be considering and starting a conversation on uh, the spiritual gifts. And so... Uh, we'll see some of Paul's introductory marks here in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Once you've found your place there in God's Word, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? First Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. It says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one, the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. God, we come to your word, and we need your Spirit to God. Open up our eyes to see the glories that are contained in this text. God, we need your guidance into all truth, and I pray that this morning, that we would see that, God, you have gifted the body with gifts to be used for your glory and for the good of your people. God, I pray, direct our attention and our eyes and focus, not at the gifts, but at the giver of the gifts. That is you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my first recollections of being introduced to uh, the works of the Spirit or spiritual gifts uh, was when I was 18 years old, and it was in a McDonald's in Pineville, Louisiana. Very interesting place to learn about the spiritual gifts, right? Uh, and it was by two older gentlemen who were sitting at a table, and me and my friend walked into uh, to McDonald's to get a bite there, and uh, we got into this interaction with these two gentlemen. And one phrase that I recall him saying, one, one of these men saying to me is this. <coughs> Sorry. Um, do you know that the Spirit could throw you up against that wall right now? That was his statement to me. And as an 18-year-old, uh, as I, I guess junior in high school, my first thought was this. Sure, but why would he want to do that? Sure, but, but why? And, you know, what was presented to me uh, as the Spirit's work was a, an action or response of kind of erratic nature or unpredictable or uh, kind of pointless and almost unstable. That's how the Spirit's work and His activity in us was presented to me, an erratic, unstable kind of force on us. And this was all couched by these two men under the banner of super spiritual, the spiritual elite. This is what happens if the spirit is really at work in you. And that was one of my earliest introductions to the work of the spirit, right? And I, I mean, I guess we'd all have to say is that's not a very good picture of the third person of the Trinity, am I right? 
this erratic force that can throw you up against the wall at whatever point he wants to. I was actually having a conversation with Dr. David this week, and he made a very, uh, a very interesting point. He says, you know, what, what was explained to you and told to you, that sounds more like demonic possession than it does actually the work of the Spirit. Because if you hear in the Gospels, what are demonic possession doing? It's throwing people to the ground, right, and convulsing. And clearly, that's not what the Spirit's work is doing here. But I also want for us to be very careful in this, that such a bizarre situation that I, I just told you, uh, a, a very unclear presentation of the Spirit's work in people, I don't want that to actually send us to the other end of the extreme, right? I don't want us to pendulum swing between one extreme to another of the Spirit's work and then the other end of neglecting the Spirit altogether and the work in us, right? Because either extremes are unhealthy and unbiblical. The overemphasis in the work of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts and then the neglect of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts in the life of the church. So this is the reason why we have 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, is that Paul is wanting to instruct the Corinthians on how these spiritual gifts are to basically be a part of their body and how the Spirit acts in his people. And so Paul wants us to even have a healthy perspective on the role of the Spirit in the life of the Christian in the context of the church, because the Spirit hasn't dwelt and blessed us with gifts. That's a beautiful thing. And that these gifts are to be used for the good of the church and the glory of the triune God. But l- let me make a, just a small preface and caveat. I'm not going to answer all your questions today on the spiritual gifts. I may not answer all your questions in the next couple weeks on the spiritual gifts. You know, questions like, do, the, do, the, the mirac- do miraculous healings still happen? Do miraculous uh, does prophecy still happen? Does, does utterance of tongues still happen? What does it look like in, in the context of a local church and all these things? We'll discuss those as we go further and further into 1 Corinthians because those will, be, uh, those will be teased out a lot in 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul here is not going to necessarily unpack the nature of these gifts. He's kind of giving us a list here in, starting in verse 8. But what he is going to do as he begins this discussion on spiritual gifts in the church is that he's setting the groundwork for these things. He's setting the groundwork. He's laying the foundation for further instructions for how the gifts are to be used in the body of Christ. And so here's the main point for this morning, what, uh, what Paul is trying to communicate through verses 1 through 11 is this, is that individual members of the body of Christ are blessed with gifts. And they are intentionally diverse. They are empowered by the same Spirit. They are to be used to edify the body. And they glorify the triune God. That's what the gifts do. And so we're going to look at three points here, starting in the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. Is that the spiritual gifts, they all come under the authority of Christ. The spiritual gifts, they operate ultimately under the authority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Any use of them outside of the sphere of authority is not the work of the Spirit. Is not spiritual and is not approved of by God. It, it, it's the difference in, uh, in, let's say, me walking into the White House without a security badge versus me walking into the White House with a security badge, right? There's a big difference, right? Is that if I just stroll up into the White House and walk in the halls and I don't have a security badge, what are they going to say? Well, one, they're going to arrest me. Two, how'd you get in here? I, but I'm an intruder at that point, right? I'm not an authorized personnel in the White House. But if I have a security badge, I can go places, right? I'm authorized. I've been stamped in, right? I'm good. And that's the difference here. And what Paul is going to lay the groundwork for is this, is that you may think that all activity of the Spirit or supposedly of the Spirit is authorized or approved by God, but be very clear. There are certain criteria by which we are told here in Paul's instructions that there are things that are not approved by God, that are not the work of the Spirit, that are not spiritual, and that are not the activity of the Spirit. So this is what he's going to jump into, is that there is no spiritual rogues here that we can do anything and claim that it is the work of the Spirit. There are certainly some things that are not. And that this seems to be a significant issue in Corinth, if you look in the first three verses here. So much so that he doesn't want them to be uninformed, right? Concerning these spiritual things, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware about what's going on and what's happening in, uh, with the indwelling of the Spirit. And that 
he says that, you know, in your former way of life when you were pagans and Gentiles, right, that you may have operated in certain ways and that there may have been some activity that you participated in or some ecstatic experiences that you may have had. But this is a completely different than what you are experiencing now being in Christ Jesus and having the Spirit indwelling in you. It's a completely different thing. It's not like the old way of when you were a pagan, right? And this may be the very reason why he brings up their pagan backgrounds in verse 2. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols? This seems to be the reason that, that their pagan background can't be the influence to how they think about the activity of the Spirit. Listen to what David Garland says. He says this, Paul contrasts the Corinthians' religious past with their spiritually transformed present as Christians. So the activities and the ecstatic experiences that you had when you were pagans, they don't transfer over into Christianity. It's not the same, even though it may look like. He says, because what you were worshiping then, what you were led astray by then, was mute idols. Idols of your own craftsmanship that could not do anything for you, that led you astray, that could not save you. This was the message of the prophets in Isaiah and even in the Psalms in Psalm 115. You followed idols that you made with your own hands, and they cannot speak, and they cannot hear, and they cannot see. They cannot do anything for you, and that's what you were led astray by, idols. Right? But now, but now, you don't worship an idol. You worship a God who speaks, and so the activity and experiences are different with him idols were silent this god speaks and so the experiences you had under mute idols will not and cannot be the same now that you serve a living speaking god right and so paul outlines he said here's the criteria for how you are to know that this is a work of the spirit to them in verse three is that to know that that this is truly a work of the Spirit, that these are actually spiritual gifts, is that one's profession, true profession of their allegiance. These two statements, Jesus is a curse and Jesus is Lord, these are statements of allegiance. Who do you pledge your allegiance to? Who is your Lord? Right? Jesus is a curse and, Je- and Jesus is Lord is in juxtaposition with one another. And that's so that those who are truly indwelt by the Spirit will not reject Jesus. They will not reject Jesus. They will not denounce Jesus. Right? They will not set themselves against Jesus. Because the Spirit always glorifies Jesus. Right? The Spirit and Jesus will never be at odds with one another. John 16, 14, Jesus said this to his disciples. The Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he's saying this. Here's the first criteria. Says, Anybody who says who says that Jesus is, cur- is accursed, that they don't pledge their allegiance to Jesus, is not filled with the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit in them. Richard Hayes says, is those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit will speak and act in ways that glorify the Lordship of Jesus. That's what they'll do. That's the criteria. And then the other way is this. Those who profess Jesus is Lord, that he is their Savior, he is their God, he is the one that they pledge their allegiance to, that he is supreme in their lives. The only way that we can profess that Jesus is Lord, what we heard this morning from Genevieve say, Jesus is Lord, the only way that one can do that is if the Holy Spirit has enabled them to do that. That's why he says this. The Spirit of God, no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus Christ, and no one can say Jesus is Lord. That's that's not just a, a, a just lip service. That's true confession and profession that Jesus is the one who gets to dictate my life. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord if not the Holy Spirit has opened up their eyes to see the beauties and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That, that's Paul's criteria here. If somebody is truly indwelt by the Spirit, they will not reject Jesus. And if somebody is truly indwelt by the Spirit, they will pledge their allegiance to Jesus. So, we must see here, and I think this is the reason that Paul brings this up, is that if a person who is indwelt by the Spirit professes, will profess that Jesus is Lord, that means their whole life, their whole life, and even how they use their spiritual gifts within the church, is under the authority of Christ. That's the authority. Is that when we say Jesus is Lord, we're not just saying that 
hey, he's Lord over my church life. No, he's over, over my family. He's Lord over my, my friendships. He's Lord over my job. He's Lord over how I use the spiritual gifts here in the church. He's Lord over all things. Right? One author says it like this, the gifts are to be exercised under the Lordship of Christ. Attention should not be centered on our gifts or our experiences, but the supremacy of Christ in all things. People may claim wonderful experiences, but if they aren't living under Christ's lordship, their gift means very little. Is that how we use our gifts and the gifts that we have been, been given have to be determined and instructed by the lordship of Jesus. And so let me just give you two points of application real quick. Is that the work of the Spirit in you will never lead you to do something contrary to the teachings of Jesus. Let me just be very clear with that. Is that the work of the Spirit in your life will never lead you to be in contrast or to do something contrary to the teachings of Jesus. So that's how one way that you can describe or determine whether somebody has, is walking in line with the Spirit. Well, don't you know what Jesus says here? Well, no, 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 I'm being led by the Spirit. Those aren't in contrast to one another. To be led by the Spirit is to obey the G- Jesus' teachings and commands. So if anybody ever tells you this, I'm being led by the Spirit here, I know what the Scriptures say, but I'm being led by the Spirit here. Say, no, 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 that ain't the Spirit. That ain't the Spirit. Don't, even, don't, don't attribute any of that to the Spirit, because it's not. Is that to say that Jesus is Lord and say that I'm being led by the Spirit, those are two things together. To be led by the Spirit is to obey the instructions and commands of Jesus. And so if there might be some who do, uh, basically belittle Jesus' teachings and say, I'm being led spontaneously by the Spirit to do this thing, the criteria is this, is it in, to, in congruence and allegiance to Jesus? Because the two will not come into contrast to one another. Second thing, when we say that Jesus is Lord, just not over our lives, but even over how we use our spiritual gifts, that means this. The person who gets to tell us and instruct us on how we use our spiritual gifts and what they are to look like is not our feelings and our experiences, but it is Jesus' teachings. Is that sometimes when we talk about spiritual gifts, we can be, um, we can be driven by feelings and emotions and experiences, and none of those are bad. But they cannot be the driving factor when we determine what is good and what is bad, what is truth and what is a lie, what is right and what is wrong. Is that we have to hold this truth really tightly and, and follow me when I say this. So when we think about the spiritual gifts, we have to follow this truth really tightly. We use our gifts by the leading of the Spirit under the authority of Christ being informed by God's Word. Our feelings and our experiences when it comes to spiritual gifts are not the determining criteria for what is spiritual and what is not spiritual. Well, I'm, I just had this feeling. I feel like the Lord uh, gave me this feeling, this emotion to do this. Is it contrary to what and how God has informed us in his word about the spiritual gifts? We cannot be led by our feelings and experiences when it comes to this topic. We have to be led and informed by God's word. And so this is the groundwork that Paul has laid in these first three verses. Is that the spiritual gifts, they come under the authority of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so having laid this groundwork, now Paul is going to go into this. What do gifts, what, what purpose do gifts serve in the church? And this will be number two. The spiritual gifts are for the common good and for the glory of God. You know, back to my initial illustration that I said, you know, that was kind of my question when those two gentlemen, you know, that interaction in McDonald's. Is that was a question I had asking. What purpose does it serve for the spirit to throw me up against the wall in a Pineville McDonald's? And my mom would respond, like, you need to be thrown up against the wall. It's like, and so, but that was my question as an 18-year-old. What, what purpose would that serve? Because that seems kind of pointless, and that seemed kind of, uh, you know, meaningless. It seemed like the gifts and the work of the Spirit didn't seem to serve a purpose. And that's exactly that point right there, that it didn't seem like 
the work of the Spirit, activity of the Spirit served a purpose? That is exactly what Paul is trying to go against here in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Is that there, when the Spirit acts, when the Spirit works in our lives, there is purpose to it. There is meaning to it. The right exercise of our gifts should serve this purpose. To testify to the triune God and to edify others, to strengthen the body of Christ. Let's look at this real quick. So he goes on in, in verse 4, and he begins discussing these. And he, he says there's a variety of gifts and of services and of activities. Variety meaning there's, there's lots of different things here. There, there's lots of different ways that the Spirit works in us. There's there's list of, of gifts that we see in Scripture. Here in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and, and Ephesians 4, is that there are lots of gifts that God gives to each person of the church. Then he describes them as gifts in verses 4 through 6, service and activities. And I think the reason that he didn't say just like gifts, 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 but he actually says gifts, service, activity, is that he's trying to paint a broad banner of, of spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. That it's casting a broad banner over these things. That it could include a lot of things. One author said it like this. Paul is intent on broadening the Corinthians' understanding of spiritual gifts to include humbler forms of expression, such as everyday acts of service. Because when we think about spiritual gifts, where do our minds go to? Tongues, prophecy, right? The healings, the, the big three, right? And then everything else is just kind of like, uh, that's kind of like bo- bottom rung kind of stuff, right? He's saying this, when he uses the words gifts and service and activities, is that spiritual gifts includes not just tongues and not just prophecy, but includes even humble acts of service, encouragement, wisdom and knowledge, things like that. And that all these gifts that are given, gifts, services, activities, all have one thing in common. That despite the variety that there might be in spiritual gifts, is that we have unity and are empowered by the triune God. Look at this. He says, you know, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same who? God. Spirit, Lord, God. It's trying to show these and put these into a context of that these gifts that we express and that we use, they are a testament They are a witness to the triune God who is distinct in roles, right? And in persons. Father, Son, Spirit, but they are united as God, right? And so in the church, there's lots of gifts. All of us don't have the same gift. There's lots of diversity even in this room, right? But we all have the same Spirit. We all have the same Lord. We all have the same God who empowers all those things. And so our diversity, even in the church with our gifts, is a witness and a testimony to the triune God and His nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in essence, three in person. And that this this God, He gives to each of us. Look at what He says in verse 7. To each is given. And He'll say this kind of over and over. To one, to another, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one. There seems to be a case that spiritual gifts are not just for the spiritual elite people. And that might be what they think. Well, I don't, I don't have spiritual gifts, but that person sure does. No, it seems like in the church that every person has been given a gift. Not just the pastor, not just the elders, not just the deacons, but that every po- person who is indwelt by the Spirit and proclaims that Jesus is Lord has been given a gift by the Spirit. And that these gifts manifest themselves. They reveal themselves. They show themselves. That the work of the Spirit in us reveals itself in our life. And how we use our gifts. And here's the purpose for the gifts. Is that not only are they, they have a vertical and a horizontal purpose. Is that vertically, the gifts are a testimony to the nature of God. That He is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there also is a horizontal way that their purpose is for the common good. That's what he says here in verse 7. Is that the purpose of these gifts are for the common good. And we've seen this theme throughout the whole book of Corinthians so far. 
is that everything that we do is for the benefit of the body. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 6. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 8. We saw that even last week in the Lord's Supper text, is that what we do and how we act and even how we use our gifts is to benefit others. It's not for self-exaltation. It's not to say, look what I can do. Look what I got. Look at the gift I have and that you don't. No, everything, all of our gifts and how we use them, is to be a benefit to other people within the church. Is that they are for the building up, not of the division and the destruction of the body. Remember that. Is that how you use your gifts is not for you, but it's for others. It's for the body of Christ to strengthen and build each other up. So let me, let me give you a couple things to think through from this text is that all gifts are given by the Spirit, and so all of them are spiritual or extraordinary. I know, again, I, I keep coming back to this, but this is just a church culture kind of thing, is that we kind of hold these things of prophecy and tongues and, and, um, and healings as the, the, the top of the top, the elite of the elite. That, those are spiritual. Those are super spiritual, and those are extraordinary. But listen, all these gifts here that are listed here in 1 Corinthians 12, all the gifts listed in Romans 12, all the gifts listed in Ephesians 4, they are all spiritual, and they are all extraordinary. You know why? Because we could not produce them on our own. That's why they're a phenomena. That's why they're extraordinary. Because by, by our own initiative, we could not manufacture any of these gifts on their own. So they're all extraordinary. Not one is more extraordinary than another. They're all spiritual. And they don't indicate superior or superior maturity. Oh, they got that gift. Yeah, God gave them that gift because they were they're just they're about ten rungs ahead of me, and they're just on a different level than I am. And that's why they were given that gift. Maybe I can work my day, you know, work one day to get up to that rung, and I'll get that gift too. It's not how the spirit works. These are not indicators of spiritual maturity, and not to be used as superior and inferior. That's not how these gifts are, or how they're outlined here. You know, our gifts, to that same point, shouldn't be used as causes of division. But they should be a testimony to the triune God. And, and let me just ask you, is that I just, made, just said that all of us have been given a gift. The Spirit has an allotted to each one of us a gift. And we must use our gifts to edify the body of Christ. Are you right now withholding your gift from the body? Are you right now, maybe you, you know, yeah, I know that I have this gift. And I'm not going to use it here because I just don't, don't want to be asked to do things. I don't, I don't want to uh, get bogged down in stuff. I, you know, I don't really want to go through the inconvenience of those things. Oh, I just don't want to, I don't want to tell anybody necessarily. Is it God has given you a gift. Are you using it or are you withholding it from the body? Because if you're withholding from the body, refraining from the body, do you know that you actually may be harming the body? Is that because when we use our spiritual gifts, it is for the edification and the growth of the body of Christ. And so, to say I'm not going to use my gift, that actually may be hurting the body of Christ. Because we need each other as as. As we want to believe that we're so individualistic and we don't need anybody else in this world, the church comes on and says, no, we need each other. We can't walk this road alone. This walk of faith, this journey of faith, I need other people to help me. And here's where it comes in. One part of this, I need people to use their gifts to help me grow. So I need you, Crosspoint. Wes McKay needs you. I need you to use your gifts. I need those who are given the gift of encouragement or given the gift of wisdom and knowledge. I need you to use those because I need to grow. Don't, don't withhold that from me, please. The same can be said for all of us. Don't withhold your gifts. Don't refrain from using your gifts because it is for the common good. Isn't that part of our mission statement, I feel like? We exist to make disciples of all nations for the what? Good of all people. And for the what? Didn't, we, didn't I just make this point with the spiritual gifts that they have a vertical and a horizontal? Is that we use our gifts to glorify God and we use our gifts for the good of other people. Don't withhold your gifts. 
And so now, having laid kind of the, the groundwork for gifts and saying this is their purpose, it's for the common good, I've been given a gift to glorify God, he now will begin to, to discuss and briefly tease out the gifts that the Spirit aligns. And so this is point number, number three. The spiritual gifts, diverse, divinely distributed, and Spirit-empowered. And what we'll see here in these verses, starting in verse 8, is that the Spirit distributes gifts, and He empowers a diversity, uh, diverse gifts in the church to each individual. But they are all united by the same Spirit. You know, we kind of kind of get a picture of this in... Uh, in I know I always bring up NFL teams and stuff like that, so I'm, I'm terrible in illustrations. Uh, but, you know, NFL teams, when they go to the draft, uh, they don't draft every round. If they have a, a pick every round, they don't draft a quarterback every round. That would just be dumb, right? First round pick is a quarterback. Second round pick is a quarterback. Third round pick is a what? Quarterback, right? Nobody does that because they know general managers, coaches, that a team consists of multiple different positions, Right? They don't need just a quarterback. They need a cornerback. They need a safety. They need a lineman. They need a running back. They need, a, they, they need all these different positions. And so they can't just draft a string of 10 quarterbacks because they know that there are different skills that make up a team. And this is, I feel like this is what Paul's point is here. That there are a variety of gifts that the body needs that one person isn't given all the gifts and not all the people are given no gifts, right? And not all people in the church have the same gift. But he diversifies it. That there are people who have this gift, there are people who have this gift, and they benefit one another mutually. The Spirit distributes these things intentionally. And there's an overemphasis in the Spirit here. Not an overemphasis, a bad thing, but just emphasizing the work of the Spirit. Verse 8, through the Spirit according to the Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit, the same Spirit in verse 11. All these reminding us that this is the Spirit's work in the life of the believer in the context of the church, is that we can't not on our own manufacture any of these things. Any gift that we exercise in the context of the church goes to the glory of God through the work of the Spirit. That's all. So you use your gift. There's no reason to say, yeah, I'm just you know, doing my part here. I'm, pre- I'm pretty awesome. I know people need me. The Spirit empowers all these things. The Spirit gets all the credit. And so then he goes on and he, he begins to tease out and unpack some of these spiritual gifts. And I'll, I'll make a, you know, if you want to read somebody on these things and see some of their works, there's a guy named Thomas Schreiner who's done a lot of work on spiritual gifts. I would recommend his work, his articles on it have been really helpful for me. But Paul doesn't, he doesn't elaborate on the specifics of each spiritual gift. He kind of just runs through the list. And so we can only go so far as the text will allow us in, in, in saying some of these things. You know, he will elaborate on tongues and on prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. So I'll have to tell you, you know, hold your horses. If you can kind of go at the pace of the text, 1 Corinthians 14 will begin to unpack some of those things with, with tongues and prophecy. But I will say a couple of things on, on uh on here in these lists. It's first, you know, he says that there's one who is given an utterance of wisdom into another utterance of knowledge. And I, I'm putting these two together because it's really hard to distinguish these two things. Someone who's been given the gift of wisdom and knowledge. And we've seen people in the Bible who have been given uh, wisdom and knowledge to do a skill. Even like the tabernacle bu- builders, they were given a spirit of wisdom and knowledge to build the tabernacle. Same with the temple builders, right? And so, and we've already seen wisdom and knowledge already discussed in 1 Corinthians, right? In the beginning chapters where they're just all about human wisdom. And Paul comes in and says, true wisdom, the wisdom of God is Christ Jesus and the message of the cross. That is true wisdom. And so, what wisdom and knowledge seems to indicate here and and across the Bible is, is that this ability to understand, to, to act, or to communicate, and maybe even apply truth at opportune times. It seems to be the case here in, in the New Testament, at least in uh, 1 Corinthians. I know that's a very basic understanding, but it seems to be the ability to understand, to apply, and, and communicate these truths in opportune times. And then we get, the next one is this, 
is that wisdom and knowledge. Then we get, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, you know, Paul's already talked about that, you know, the Spirit has to enable us to have saving faith. What we're talking about here is not the same same kind of faith. Uh, it's not necessarily saving faith. This is a kind of an extraordinary nature of faith. What we see here in 1 Corinthians 13, what we'll see in two weeks, is that faith to move what? Anybody know? Mountains. There is like a supernatural faith that one has in the face of uncertainty, in the face of trial, that one trusts the Lord in his acts of mercy and grace and sovereignty. And that their faith somehow somehow stimulates and encourages the body of Christ. One... um, one person I think about is George Mueller, if you've ever read his biography uh, on George Mueller. George Mueller uh, ran this, this huge orphanage, and he didn't ask for any donations or anything like that. He never requested funds or anything like that. He just got up in the morning, and he just prayed. There was one day, one of my favorite stories of George Mueller, one day they did not have, any, have anything to drink. They usually you know, had stuff to give the, the kids there. They didn't have anything to drink, any, any you know. And so he got up that morning knowing that they, the kids were about to go days long without something to drink because he didn't have anything to give them. So he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And then he got a knock at the door. Uh, Mr. Mueller, uh, would you, could, could I see you? And he walks outside and a milk truck had broken down right in front of the orphanage. <laughs> and he says, all this milk is going to go to waste if I don't give it away today. Can, can you use this? He's like, yeah. <laughs> right? Which is just awesome. But I, I feel like George Mueller may have had this supernatural, extraordinary faith to trust God in the moments of great uncertainty and great trial. Faith. Another one is this. Is that to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Seems to be the kind of spontaneous nature an ability to heal another person. But it seems like the language, you know, with the plural of, of healings or healing, another gifts of healing, seems like that this is not necessarily a permanent gift that one has. And let me explain this to you. Sometimes Paul was able to heal people, if you remember this. Is that in the book of Acts and in other places that people were even able to touch his garment or touch something that he touched and they were healed. So it seemed at different occasions, Paul had the gift to heal people. But at other occasions, he knew of people who were sick, and he did not heal them. So he had heard of people, you know, having stomach issues, or I, I think that was Timothy, having stomach issues, or, or this person over here was sick. And he, he said, man, I'm praying. So it seems like this gift of healing is not necessarily a permanent one. At least not in the life of Paul. Paul healed some, but he also knew of people who were sick and they were not healed. And so just a point of application is that, and and D.A. Carson makes a really good point of this, is that this should make us wary of institutionalizing gifts. Like these big healing ministries. I remember uh, when I was in my home church, a guy brought a healer to our church to teach people how to heal people. Now, red flags should go up all in our heads, right? It's kind of the opposite of a spiritual gift, right? That's more of a skill to be honed and uh, training and things like that. That's, that doesn't seem like to be a gift. And so we should be very wary of, of healing ministries where these people have, can heal tons of people at every beck and call, right? The language of healings here in, in the Bible, at least in Paul's in ministry, implies that just because someone has the gift of healing doesn't mean that they are able to heal every person in every situation from every abnormality at every time. That seems to be the case. Then we have miracles, or literally the works of power, where things are done that are outside the bounds of, of nature that are, that are miraculous. And then to the next is to another prophecy. And I know when we think about prophecy, 
what comes immediately to our mind is somebody staring into a, uh, you know, uh, gazing into a crystal ball. Oh, I see in your future, you're going to be happy. You'll be really happy. I'm making a joke. That's, you know, that's pretty general uh, prophecy, right? But that's typically what we think about prophecy, is that it's always future looking, like looking in the future, being able to determine what some person, or, or reading, you know, the lines in their hand saying, yeah, I see something bad coming down the way by this line in your hand. That's what we think as prophecy. But if you look at the Old Testament prophets, it's not just foretelling, meaning telling the future. There is some of that going on in the prophets. But it's also foretelling, meaning Israel, if you don't stop being stupid and sinning, God is going to judge you. And that's because God had already told them that. So prophets weren't just people who were telling the future. They were warning people. They were rebuking people. They're saying, stop what you're doing. Don't you get it? Haven't you seen the signs? Haven't you heard God's word? He's warned you, stop. So Old Testament prophets, they did foretelling and forthtelling. And so prophecy seems to be a general, and we'll get into this in 1 Corinthians 14, seems to be the communication of God's uh, revelation to people, to his people. And how that takes form and what that looks like will be a discussion that we'll get into in 1 Corinthians 14. And then another person is given the ability to discern the spirits. They have the ability to discern what is of the spirit and what is not of the spirit. Right? And this may be connected back to verses 12, 1 through 3, that there's a distinction, a clear distinction between those who are truly indwelt by the spirit and those who are not. And there seems to be a gift for people who are able to discern and see through the fog and see through the, 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 the trappings and say, that is truly a work of the Spirit, and that is truly not a work of the Spirit. Then, there are people who are given the gift of speaking in tongues. Again, I'm not trying to kick the can down the road, but we'll get into tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 and what their purpose is and how they're used in the church. But it does seem to be, when we look at Acts chapter 2, that tongues seem to be a cognitive language that can be known. That you have no ability, you have not learned the language. But in Acts chapter 2, people are speaking and people understand the language that is being spoken. They're hearing it in their own language. So it seems to be a cognitive real language. It's not just babbling. But it's ability to speak in a tongue that is not something that they necessarily have learned prior to that event. And then, in the presence of when tongues are spoken, there must always be someone to interpret the tongue. So that is also its own gift. The ability is given to another person, not the person speaking tongues, but to another person, to interpret the tongue so that it would be for the common good of the people hearing these things. Right? And so, again, we just kind of ran through this list real quick. But all these gifts are empowered by the same Spirit, and all of them are are extraordinary because they come from the Spirit. And that the Spirit, He gives these gifts according to His own will. This is what verse 11 says. That He has given a gift to each individual to be used for the common good and the glory of God. And so this is what He says, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. And I think we can learn two things from just this verse. Is that we learn something about the Spirit. The Spirit is a person. And I, I want to I be very clear with this. Is that the Spirit is not an it. It is not a force. It's not a feeling. The Spirit is a person. He is what it says who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Even Jesus said this in John 16. Listen to what he says. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What word in there? tells you that the person is, or the Spirit is a person. He, right? Doesn't say it, 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 it. No. 
Jesus understands the Spirit as a person. So we have to be very clear with the Spirit. Sometimes we can make it seem like, well, you know, the Spirit is kind of like the force in Star Wars. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Or, or the Spirit is kind of like this feeling that you have in your gut. No, 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 no. The Spirit is person. And not only that do we learn about the Spirit being a person here in verse 11, but we also learn that the Spirit is sovereign. That the gifts given to each individual are the products of the Spirit's intentional and sovereign orchestration and distribution. They are distributed according to His will. So if you have a gift and you're saying, oh man, I got that gift? Seriously? That's the worst of the worst. Nobody likes that gift. Nobody uses that gift. Man, nobody sees me using that gift. Here's what you're doing. You're complaining about what the Spirit has given you. I don't know about you, but when I give a gift to my child and they complain about what they've given, it doesn't make me very happy. Do I get an amen from parents? When they grumble and they mur- murmur, they're like, oh, man, I wanted this. I get pretty upset because it's an assault on me. It's an insult to me. So if you have a gift, Realize that you have been given it, and it's been apportioned to you and allotted to you by the Spirit. And the Spirit does not give out gifts flippantly like Oprah throws out money or gifts. He gives it sovereignly and intentionally. So these these are gifts. They're not something that you can learn or be trained to do. That's why they're called gifts. Because they're all a work of the Spirit, and they're a phenomenon. And that our variety of gifts, even in, within the body of Crosspoint, we are to use them for the common good of one another, for the glory of God. And that our diversity in using our gifts is, is a testimony. Is that we don't think anyone is lesser by not having this gift or more or superior by having this gift. Is that we all realize that we only have this gift, these gifts, by the power of the Spirit that has allotted these things to us. Is that, and here's what we have all in common. We may all have different gifts, wisdom and knowledge, prophecy, tongues, whatever it may be. We may all have different gifts in here. But we all can say we all have the same spirit. We all have the same spirit. And that is what unites us here. And, not, and that's why we aren't divided over who's got what spirit or what gift and who doesn't. It's that we all say we have the spirit that gives us these gifts to use for the good of the body. And the glory of God. But I, I want us to draw us back one last point. I want us to end where we began. And that this all begins with this. That Jesus is Lord. For you, Christian, Jesus is Lord. That means that He gets to inform you and instruct you on how to think about the gifts. And how to use the gifts. And if Jesus is Lord and has told you to use your gifts for the good of the body and the glory of his name. Then how could we dare say I'm not going to use my gifts here at Crosspoint. If Jesus is Lord that means he's Lord over every single aspect of your life. Right now Christian. Can you say that? Can you say that Jesus gets to tell me what to do in every area of my life. He gets to inform and instruct me on whatever part it may be whether that be my family, my friendships, my job, my workplace, whatever it may be, is that ultimately I sit underneath the authority of Christ and His Word determines how I live. This morning, Christian, can you say that for yourself? That everything I do, say, believe is under the authority of Christ. Or I say, well, you know what, Yeah, Jesus gets to tell me how to act this way and in this this area and this sphere of life, but over here I keep these things. I, you know, I I kind of keep these to myself. I, I get to act this way over here. Jesus is either Lord over every part of your life or he is Lord over none of your life. That's what lordship means. Is Jesus Lord over every single aspect of your life? And second for unbelievers, this. You just heard a message on spiritual gifts. And for you, as we've already said, if you're an unbeliever, none of these things you can manufacture on your own. None of these things, you cannot work out the spiritual gifts. As hard as you try, as hard as you try, there will be no gifts. They are done in vain. 
But this morning, you can be indwelt by the Spirit. You can be gifted by the Spirit. But this morning, what it requires of you is to confess that Jesus is your Lord and that nothing else is. This morning, it asks that you run away from any idol that has led you astray, whether that be your work or your family or, or, or money, whatever that may be. That may mean you leave your idols behind and you confess that Jesus is your Lord and only Him. Meaning that Jesus is your Lord. He gets to dictate and determine how you're, what you do in your life. That means that He has sacrificed Himself on the cross so that you may be made right before God. That means that He has been raised from the dead to give you new life, that you can say that He is your Lord this morning. The spiritual gifts, they cannot be manufactured on your own, unbeliever. But this morning, you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit if you confess this morning that Jesus is your Lord. And then you get to live under His Lordship. And let me just say this to you, unbeliever. His Lordship is the best. You know, we have seen even in the past week or so what bad leaders and bad lords and bad kings and bad presidents do and what they look like. But guess who is not like any of that? Jesus. He is Lord and He is King over all those kings and He is the best. If you want to live under His Lordship this morning, all you have to do is profess faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn away. Turn away from your idols. From the things that lord over your life right now. And say Jesus is my Lord. Let me pray for us. God we thank you. Even with a difficult subject like this. And the spiritual gifts God. That we can come to you and say. We need your help and understanding. We need your spirit to open up our eyes. And our hearts to see and believe. And that this morning we even need your help to confess and to live under your Lordship, Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that our hearts would continue to be drawn to Jesus and that we would see whatever it may be, whether the use of our spiritual gifts or anything else, we are always and should be always informed by Christ's Lordship. It's in His name we pray. I'm going to invite the band back up to lead us out in singing. This morning, if you, are, if you are an unbeliever in here or you're watching online and you want to know what it means to say that Jesus is Lord, myself or Dr. David will be here right after the service or you can email us here at Crosspoint. We would love to answer those questions for you on what it means for you to confess that Jesus is Lord. If you're a Christian in here this morning and you're wondering how, how can I submit myself to the Lordship of Christ in this particular area? Myself, Dr. David, would love to speak with you about that. Or there's people in this congregation right here sitting around who I believe have the gift of wisdom and knowledge. And they can instruct you on how do I submit every area of my life to the Lordship of Jesus. If you would, please stand as we sing together.